Hey, what's up everybody? Carl Rootman here, back with the Tix Village podcast. So this year Tix Village is doing something a bit new. Well, not new, we've done it before in the past, but we changed the name up. We called it now Village Fest, where we're giving villagers with an entrepreneurial aspiration um, opportunities to showcase their business and sell their products. It's also election season coming up in Village, so anyone who's got some, some aspirations of getting on the res management committee or executive committee, well, I think we've got the right man here to help you with your, with your goals. So let's get into it. So I really want to incorporate the idea of entrepreneurship and elements of politics into this episode. And my guest today, Mr. John Capito, I think is the best man for the job. So as I mentioned before, Mr. Capito has his fingers in many pies. Um, He is a past president of the Bordecai Chamber of Businesses, as well as serving as a member in in different capacities throughout his 17 years of serving. Um, He's also starts, he has several business interests, um, and that ranges from everything from IT to consulting and farming. Uh, He's also served as a member of the Eastern Cape Parliament as the spokesperson for the DA on several matters. So let's hear from the man himself, Mr. John Capito. How are you today, sir? Oh, fine, thank you, Carl. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. We're really grateful to have someone like you here with us today. So I really want to get into it. So I've done like a short bio, but I'm sure everyone's quite keen to hear exactly who John Capito is. Maybe care to tell our listeners? Oh, wow. You've pretty much covered everything. Um, you forgot to add normal guy, <laughs> because at the end of the day, um, you know, as I got involved in politics and formalized business and that type of thing, the one thing you realize very quickly is that um, a lot of people that we put up in a precipice and on a pedestal are actually just very ordinary people. Uh, some that can do extraordinary things, others that are in the right place at the right time, um, and others that are highly skilled and, and, and can do some fantastic things. I'm not entirely sure which one I am. Uh, <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like the one, other times I feel like the other, but at the end of the day, you know, just an ordinary guy. Oh, that's very humble of you to <laughs> say. Um, I think after everything we go into, people might disagree, <laughs> but our rapid fire questions, I'm sure will bring you down to earth. Oh. So I want to start looking at like a bit of businessy stuff. So from your LinkedIn, I've seen that you do own your own business, QP Data, and you've also got several other business interests. So what was the motivation behind starting your own business? Well, like anybody else, um, you want to be your own boss um, because a lot of people realize that um, they have certain leadership skills. Uh, there are a lot of good bosses that actually admit that they don't have great leadership skills and they, and they work off the employees as well. Um, so just like anybody else, um, want to be your own boss, you feel that you might want to go in a different direction to what other businesses there are out there, or in my case, I was in the family business. Um, so you find different interests and, um, and you start going that route. And then you realize, hey, um, I can do my own thing. I want to run my own business. Let's go for it. Okay. And then you, you speak about being in the family business. Your, so your family is like quite well known throughout East London for the, the family business, Cupid Dolls. And I, I really want to ask, like, how did the exposure to the family business help you and in, like influence your path that you took growing up and starting your own business? 
I bring it down to my parents. Um, you know, the official story of how my father started the family business is that he bought a bottle of perfume for five rands, sold it for 10 rands, bought two bottles of perfume for 10 rands and sold, you know, those for a profit. Um, and he worked as a door-to-door salesperson and eventually realized that he could produce and manufacture his own perfume. Um, and then started that on a small scale. Um, and him being an entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, went out, did the hard slog, you know, went town to town selling. And in a small little town in uh, northwest, uh, the northwest province, one of the doors that he knocked on was my grandfather's door and he met my mother. <laughs> and, uh, and also, um, so they started dating and everything. And um, when my mom was pregnant with me, um, my father, being an entrepreneurial spirit, lost interest in the perfume industry and went off to go do farming in Lesotho or something like that. And in that time, my mother was at home uh, with me in her belly. So she thought, well, let, let her keep the perfume business going. And by the time my father lost interest in farming, he came back and it was a thriving business. So what is very interesting about that is that um, I'm very much like my mother, I'm very conservative uh, when it comes to decision, um, business decision making and that type of thing, where my father is a bit more flamboyant. Um, he's a big picture idea of a guy where my mom's all about the little nitty gritties. So I think, um, you know, they've allowed me to grow and learn both sides of it um, and find a happy medium. Um, I was studying abroad uh, a couple of years ago, well, not a couple of years, like a couple of decades ago now, um, when I was actually here on varsity holiday when my father had a minor heart attack. And at that time, we kind of realized um, that the way the business was structured is my father knew his aspect of the business and my mom knew her aspect of the business. So they asked me to come into the family business to kind of put them together, which is when I joined the business. Okay. Um, how would you say like your mom and dad's approach to business? Um, are they like positives of being like a very nitty gritty person, big negatives and maybe vice versa with your dad's approach? It's, um, it's kind of like, um, you know, there's that saying about uh, everyone has two wolves inside them. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a positive wolf and a negative wolf. And um, the one that wins is the one that you feed the most. And I think in business it's the same. My, mo my mom being more careful and prudent and conservative, my father being big picture minded um, and a bit more flamboyant. Uh, there's a lot of fights at the dinner table, <laughs> but they, they in many ways completed each other in that. So I think um, what a person needs is you need a bit of both. Because okay. if, you, if you have a small set, small minded set, um, you're not going to create big things by end up building big businesses and big buildings and that type of thing. You might uh, be very conservative in your decision making. Your business does well to, to bring in income, but it doesn't grow very rapidly or doesn't, you don't have aspirations for it to get bigger, uh, which is perfectly fine because for each, each person that goes as far as they want to go. So, um, you know, that's coming back to my parents. You know, my dad had huge ideas, but, you know, being an entrepreneurial spirit and historically, uh, he would have these fantastic ideas, lose interest and then go in a different direction. And then that idea would either collapse or fail um, and he'd work on the next one. But if my mom didn't keep it going, they wouldn't have been the bread and butter um, going solidly for us while my father was, you know, having uh, doing entrepreneurial 
projects, that type of thing. But over the years, obviously, he settled with the perfume business and we've grown it. You know, the business is a, a year older than I'm alive, I've been alive. So, mm. so it's 47 years now. <laughs> and, I can't tell. <laughs> a little bit over there in the gray in the beard. But um, yeah, it's, I've actually lost track of the question, but yeah, <laughs> you do need a bit of both. Okay. Um, it's, it's, I think it's very important, or at least in your team, um, you know, your management team, to have people on both sides of that spectrum. Okay, okay. That's very useful information. I'm definitely going to remember that one day. Um, so you just gave us a whole lot of wisdom, like a lot of insider knowledge. Do you maybe have like any, any extra words of wisdom for people that's trying to get their, their own little businesses off the ground? Research, research, research. Market research, um, best practice research. You know, the internet is your friend, um, obviously with a grain of salt. Everything that you learn off there, you know, um, being able to watch YouTube on, our, on normal TVs nowadays makes YouTube a fantastic source for learning information. However, always be aware that you're listening to a person's opinion, okay. not necessarily fact. So you've got to find good resources. Um, you know, and, and the nice thing about a global, you know, the internet um, bringing, making us a global economy in a sense is that you can learn best practice from other countries. Uh, travel whenever you can um, because a lot of things that you will see in other countries that are norm for the people over there is something we haven't even seen here and you can actually bring that back to our country or something that works extremely well here in South Africa could very easily be taken to another country and, and become successful there. As an example, um, the um, what's it? Uh, please call me, what are those SMSs, oh, yeah. those were created in South Africa. Yeah, I remember that was a huge there, court case in Vodacom. Is, yeah, they're, they're still going on about that. And and don't take me, get me wrong, but I actually think that in the beginning, Vodacom and MTN were pioneers of the prepaid system as well. Um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that one, but that seems to have stuck in my mind over the years as well. Mm. So, so we've got some fantastic ideas here that can get carried globally, um, but there's also a lot of global um, ideas that we haven't adopted here yet that we could, especially as we are modernizing you know, in the world today. Okay. And then um, you speak like a lot of like big picture stuff, like going international. Um, so universities, like very, our residence is a very small place. It's only 640 students. I mean, it is the biggest residence, but in the bigger picture, it's not that huge. And a lot of those people are from much smaller towns like East London is. I mean, East London's not a small town. Well, it's not really a town, it's a city but from much smaller places than the larger like um, centers, which are like Joburg, Pretoria, Tresina's like uh, business hubs. Uh, what advice do you have for those people in the smaller towns that want to get their businesses off the ground? Well, it, it, it all depends. Um, yeah, you're right. East London is a city. We are a metro. Um, I've got to put that part out there because <laughs> um, I'm proud of East London. And um, East London is the only city without traffic, which we're that very proud so of. That is so true. Pretoria but traffic. <laughs> we're also the only city with a small town mentality when it comes to supporting local business because you'll get a lot of businesses like, um, you know, for something, you, you know, around your age, um, events and pubs and clubs and that type of thing to do is London doesn't have much of a choice when it comes to that um, and if a place opens we'll support it like crazy for six months and then it'll die down so the the key thing for small town is that because almost everybody knows everybody it's it's quite easy to set up a, a, a decent business networking circle 
Um, you know, over here we've got Border Car Chamber of Business, we've got uh, BNI, which is uh, Business Network International, I think. Um, you know, joining any of those would be a fantastic way to start. Um, but in being a secondary market and not a primary market like Johannesburg, Cape Town, Durban, Bloemfontein, that type of thing, uh, we do struggle um, when it comes to having, yet again, big picture mentality. A lot of the businesses over here will, will just work in the area and, and not consider moving outwards and expanding the business. Where in cities like Johannesburg, the mindset there is it's a proper rat race. You know, mm. it's uh, dog eat dog. And um, if you don't jump on something very quickly, somebody else will. Where things move a little bit slower in a town like this, and you can take a bit of time setting up. But um, if you're in a primary center like Johannesburg, you've got to work really quickly. Um, but then again, at the same time, in a smaller town, um, all the infrastructure and support networks, you know, like the municipality setting up business licenses, things like that might take a, a quite a bit more time. Where because of the demand in a place like Johannesburg or Cape Town, the, um, the networks might be a lot quicker in setting up things, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's lots of give and take. There is give and take. There's good because um, when you start up a business, getting support from people that you know, um, especially if you went to school in, in a place like East London, you'll know a lot of guys that also, or, uh, you know, men and women that I went to a boys' school, so. Um, oh, Selborne College. I, yeah. have to, I have to rent the school. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, you know, so you'll run into a lot of people that you know and they'll support the business um, and the business grows by word of mouth. So as long as you make sure that you stick, have integrity in your business and the one thing going back to um, the previous question about what I can advise for people to starting up their business, never make promises that you can't deliver on. Okay. You know, I know that um, someone like Richard Branson will say, if you can't do it yet, say yes and learn to do it on the way. It's not always the case. <laughs> because especially in a smaller market like East London, um, or even a big market like Johannesburg, if you make a promise and you can't stick to it, you'll get a reputation. And that reputation will be very difficult to shrug off. So from the get-go, make promises you can keep, uh, keep your integrity intact. And I'm telling you now, most businesses will survive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And now uh, you did mention in some of your advice there about the Border Car Chamber of Business. So I'm, I know that they're a thing. I don't, I'm not very familiar with them. Um, could you maybe uh, tell us what they do and what, they, what services, services they offer and maybe what your role was, was as president? Okay. Um, no, quite simply, the Border Car Chamber of Business is uh, over 140 years old now. Um, been around for quite a while um, and in short we are the the local voice of business um, we've got over 650 members so over 650 companies have joined us and uh, they rely on us to disseminate information from either government or what's happening in the economy locally to them and then whatever the information they give back to us or complaints or or that type of thing or they say listen we need to fight for uh, increase in infrastructure or something like that that's what we we as the voice of business so quite often you'll find that the municipality or even provincial government uh, will get in touch with us and say listen guys from businesses side what would you like to see us do okay. um, so quite often it, having a good working relationship with the municipality or with provincial government or whatever department um, is quite key for a business organization like us 
Um, and then within the Border Car, we've got over 140 members, um, individual people, uh, person members, that sit on committees. Um, so we've got an infrastructure committee, uh, we've got a um, infrastructure committee, tourism committee, uh, finance committee, you know, for all the different aspects. Uh, there's a trade and industry committee. Um, there's an IT committee that started over the last couple of years as well and we've incorporated um, the local business women's um, association into our uh, what we call the women's desk okay. um, so to advance um, you know female uh, businesses that type of thing as well um, so what we help is we assist businesses if uh, they are startup we assist them where to start where to go um, and then for existing businesses as well uh, we we have a strong networking connection where we every six weeks have a networking function where businesses meet other businesses and there's a lot of business that's done over that uh, okay. period of time um, and then all sorts of other events we bring webinars to um, to our members as well to teach them about the different aspects in different sectors um, and then obviously lately we've actually also put our weight behind things like uh, when they tried to fight the seismic um, exploration oh. for the wild coast we got involved with that as well um, and at the same time when KZN had their floods recently and also during the time of the looting uh, we created a, um, a larger committee that actually uh, it's called the good deeds committee um, that has collected and sent up um, essential needs and that type of thing to the uh, disaster areas so there, there's a bit of everything that we do primarily um, for the local economy, but we also realize that uh, you need to grow the economy outside to make the economy inside a bit better as well. Okay. So it's what we do as business. Seems like a lot of big picture work. Yes, definitely. And then what would the president's role be in that sort of thing? Well, um, the president's term is about two years. Um, so every two years we have a new president. We've got a system where we have a second vice president that works up to first vice, and then first vice um, Cetris Paribus would move into the presidency. Okay. Um, theoretically, you can still get elected from the floor, but as rule of thumb, and for many decades, we've been running that way because the vice presidents learn the aspects of managing and, and, and um, giving leadership to the chamber because we do have a CEO that is the administrative head where the, uh, the executive committee is kind of a oversight and decision-making body um, for the the route that uh, the business chamber will take. Okay. Um, kind of like how the, the mayor in a municipality is the political head um, and then the municipal manager is the administrative head of the municipality. Okay. So um, quite often one can't interfere with the other. So Very well, separate sort of things. Very, very separate, but, uh, but you know, when they work well together, then, then the organization grows. And if they don't work well together, well, you've seen what's happened to some of our municipalities. Yeah, no, they've had a rough time. Oh, Fortunately, yeah. you guys have been going for 140 plus years. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. And as far as the organization, we've been great. Um, you know, we've just now recently um, voted in uh, Chris and is our new latest president. Okay. Um, and yeah, he's got some fantastic ideas going forward. Um, and yeah, we've had, I don't even know how many presidents we've had. We've had many over the years. Mm. So, but it's it's an institution that I'm very proud to be have been part of the leadership of, um, and I'll be part of them for many years to come. Okay, awesome. Yeah. 
Hey everyone, it's Carly here from the future. So this episode I might have gotten a little bit carried away with because I was having such a good conversation with John. And um, so I've decided that no, this needs to be two episodes for sure. Otherwise it gets a, a little bit long. So I've decided to break it up and yeah, so I'm going to call the conversation right there and we'll carry on in the next episode. So I shall see everyone then next time on the Six Village Podcast.